Stu Wilson is a teacher, a physical therapist, and a human movement junkie. Stewart began his PT career on the Big Island of Hawaii, where he worked with all levels of athletes and orthopedic patients. Stu owned and operated Champion Sports Medicine and Physical Therapy Clinic in Denver, Colorado, where he specialized in sports-specific analysis and treatment that utilized a biomechanical, manual, and functional medicine approach to problem solving. Stu is currently the director at Panther Physical Therapy and Sports Performance in Colorado, where he continues to treat many athletes and patients of all levels. Stu is my guest today. What's up, everybody? My name is John Campioni, and this is the Rock Tape Podcast. All right, I am here nice. with Stuart Wilson. Stuart Wilson is one of our rock tape OGs. He's a physical therapist out of Colorado. Stu, what's up? How you doing, buddy? Thanks for having I'm, me. I'm doing great, man. Thanks for uh, being here and uh, finally kind of tracking you down and getting you on, on the, the podcast. Uh, we've had uh, a wealth of, <laughs> of exchanges <laughs> trying to get you on there too. Not blaming Over you for a year. Just, Over a year. I just want to tell so everybody the story, yeah. Yeah, thank you very but, much for having me, John. Like I said on the uh, on the outset, uh, Stu, you are one of the originals. Uh, there is a classic picture that Allie always shows at our Rock Tape uh, summits, and I think we saw it again this year. We have what fifty North American instructors now, and then more internationally. But there's a classic photo of the first Rock Tape instructor summit, and Stu, how many people were at that summit? There were four people plus Allie, so five total, three five chiropractors, total. and one PT. And you guys were all huddled around a kitchen table in, right. I think it was Allie's kitchen, right? Right. Allison's yeah. in Colorado, yeah. You know, tell um, how you got started in healthcare as a physical therapist, uh, as you uh, – tell you as you describe yourself a human movement junkie what really kind of right. sparked your interest into the idea of you know working in physical therapy and healthcare yeah so like most people that go into the healthcare industry they all started with their own injury or someone that they loved that got injured yeah. uh, my junior year of high school I had a really bad slide tackle in soccer took out my ankle and struggled the next couple of years to really play well because of that pain then I went into college, um, didn't play, kind of got burnt out in soccer, but was playing on the side for intramurals and I couldn't kick the ball anymore. And every time I kicked it, I sprained my ankle. So I went into the doctor, he said, surgery or physical therapy? I said, PT, of course. That got me into the PT and the guy was absolutely brilliant. He knew exactly what was going on. He told me how to fix it, or at least how to help me with being able to play soccer. And I've been able to play soccer ever since. And so that's actually how I met my wife. Uh, that's how I met a lot of my friends. Um, I still play to this day. And thanks to that PT back in college, uh, he really helped me. At that so, time too, I absolutely loved what PT was all about. So it was about education and anatomy and trying to get people back to what they love to do. And so yeah. I think that was a huge part. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was... Uh... Something that I think I hear a lot of people saying is just the idea of helping people out and, you know, getting into it. Was there, um, you know, any more to that? Or did you just kind of, you worked with that PT, you 
got better, you saw the benefits and you're like, right then and there, it's like, I got to do this. This is what I want to do with my life. Right then and there. I said, if this can save me from surgery, this is what I want to do. If I can wow. save other people from having surgery, other people from having big complications, and most importantly, getting back to what they love to do, that's for me. Yeah. So you were, you said you were in college when you saw this PT, you were already kind of studying exercise, sports science, <laughs> you know, human anatomy, neurobiology. Did you have another pathway in mind before you got Absolutely. into- Absolutely. I love this because I wanted to be an anchorman. I wanted to be on the news. <laughs> I, I wanted to be the anchorman. I was in speech comm and knew at the time that this just wasn't for me. Uh, I don't know what got me drawn into it. I, I dated a girlfriend or her dad was a an anchorman and I just thought that was a cool job. And then I got into this uh, more of the science and anatomy and that stuff that draws you in. And I was like, that's me. This is the type of stuff I love to do. So actually <laughs> my minor was in anatomy and neurobiology okay. and my bachelor's was in exercise sports science, sports okay. men. Was this a major change for you? Literally, did you change your major from communications into this or was I it? I did. Okay. Yep. So I changed it was a drastic ESS. change. <laughs> drastic change. But now, you know, most things come back, right? Just like injuries come back sometimes. Sure. Your life definitely comes back because <laughs> it's ironic that I love to teach and I love to be on stage telling people, hey, this is how stuff works. Uh, so in a small role, I'm an anchorman for, for rock tape. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's so I wish I was better with Photoshop. I could do so much with just the Anchorman posters. Right. Good pictures, thing I don't live in Rock San Diego, right? <laughs> <laughs> so after you got out of school, you went into uh, physical therapy. Um, you know, we know now uh, physical therapy is already into a doctorate level, but you had it in at the master's level there. I did. Um, kind of tell me about that. I've always been interested in that. My, my introduction to healthcare was working in PT clinics as an aide. So I was, I, I knew PTs that they were like, oh, it was a bachelor's degree when I went through there too. So how has the profession really evolved since you are a teacher as well too? You know, what takes it from the bachelor's to master's and then finally the, the decision, this has to be a doctorate program? Right. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of different answers to that. If you ask academia to the clinical questions, you know, to people inside the field and outside the field, you get all kinds of different responses. Um, I'll say what mine is. Um, I believe that, you know, like we follow in the recipe, the recipe in the cookbook is a guideline. And I mm -hmm. think schools are amazing at teaching you the basic skills and giving you those tools to get started. And then it's up to you to learn your creative process, your ability to tweak the recipe, your ability to go out and learn new ways of doing things. And I think that's key. So, my path was a little different. I thought many times about going back and getting not just my DPT, but my PhD um, and had a few things in life just kind of stop me through that. And at the end of the day, I said, is this really going to benefit me? Is this the direction that I want to go? Can I get where I want to go? Um, or do I have to do this PhD program or even DPT program? Or is it something that I'm already on my way to where I want to be? And the question was always, I'm treating the way that I want to treat. Um, there's a lot more to learn by far, but I'm in the trenches, I'm in the fields, I'm, I'm in a, as a business owner, this is where I want to be versus that, that PhD or DPT level. Um, so for me, I always knew for my skills that it just wasn't for me to go back and get my DPT. Not to say that it's not a good program and good for the profession, uh, just wasn't in the cards for me. That's a, 
hard decision to make sometimes too, because we're all often told when we go through this process is, you know, get the highest uh, degree you possibly can and it's going to get you places. But I mean, there's nothing that says that's absolutely the way that you really have to do it. No. And I think sometimes those journeys on the side in different directions actually take you where you need to be. Um, mm. And again, academia is amazing at giving you that, that cookbook, that first recipe to follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're even good at coming up with some creative solutions on their own. I have a lot of, I know a lot of great people in academia that are doing a wonderful job, but again, it just wasn't in the cards for me. Yeah. Yeah. So when, once you got out of school, you, uh, have your physical therapy degree. What, where did it go from there? Did you open up your own practice or did you start working for other people? So I was extremely fortunate. I went to Regis university for PT school, got a master's, as you said, uh, and this is when people were talking about the DPT, being able to teach and do some other things, and that was my goal. Um, later on, it, you know, the, the ability to teach actually is only at the PhD level for the most part. Some people at the DPT level are still teaching, but it's mostly PhD, and that's why I looked into it. Um, but after school, um, I got this really great job on the big island of Hawaii, and yeah. it was my last rotation in school. My best friend did the rotation right before me. I did the one after him. We both got offered jobs. And it was just a dream. And as we, most of us know, when you first graduate, you don't have any student loans for six months. So I was living <laughs> high in Hawaii with my best friend, my first job in an amazing place. And it was just awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I learned was, a lot those, those next couple of years. Was that just luck of the draw? Was that something you were looking for or just came up? <laughs> like so many things in life. It's a matter of being in the right place at the right time and then working yeah. your butt off to get it. So yeah. uh, as soon as they announced rotations, I was the second at the door. My best friend was the first, and uh, we, <laughs> we wanted Hawaii. And then wow. as far as the job, it was just, you know, again, luck of the draw that they, they got rid of somebody. Um, I got along with them really well in my last rotation, and they offered me a job. Wow. What was so, it like living on the Big Island? It was great. I have... So many great stories. The, the, the biggest thing that I say is that the Hawaiian culture is so inviting and so loving. Um, we've all heard the word aloha, but it's, it's just lived there. It's the yeah. spirit of that island. And aloha, the best word I can come up with is love. You know, they say love you when you're, you know, say goodbye, love you when you say hello. Uh, the aloha spirit is just the love spirit. It's everything about it is, is being kind and the aloha spirit. Um, there is some cultural differences. For me, it was an amazing culture difference because I grew up in Colorado, which was predominantly um, white. And for me to go to a culture where I got to experience what a true minority felt like was huge and such a good learning experience. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I don't wish anyone to get treated differently or poorly. Um, and it was absolutely amazing to see that firsthand to see what the different cultural experiences are like. Um, but on the very next thing is that they absolutely took you in. They were the first to invite you to parties. They're the first to invite you to be part of their family. Um, you know, there was a long history of, um, you know, the, uh, basically the mainland or the United States coming in and taking over a lot of things, which created some of that animosity, which I do not blame them for. Um, but at the same time, there was just a love that was, uh, throughout all the culture and, and overrode everything. 
That's so cool. I've never gotten a chance to, to go out to Hawaii. And now I understand why uh, I see you teaching there uh, a few times when that's on the schedule because <laughs> you right. have some experience there too. <laughs> right. And yeah, so it was absolutely amazing to see that culture. The people there are just incredible to be around for sure. So, so cool. I mean, you, you, you mentioned the, the culture change too. The weather had to have been uh, pretty different for you as somebody coming from Colorado. <laughs> It was, and it was, uh, you know, that's something that I actually missed because I definitely moved back to Colorado afterwards, essentially, and I missed the seasons. I missed the mountains. Everyone asks, why did you move back to Colorado? And I always say, because I love the mountains. That's where I'm at. Like yeah. Jimmy Buffett loves the ocean. I just love being in the mountains. And for me, it was time to come back. Um, yeah. Yeah. So great <laughs> experience. Sometimes I don't think people understand that. It's like you live in a place for so long. It's like, yeah, I do like snow. I enjoy it. You know, like we can go and do a lot of stuff in the snow. Hey, you're from a sunny place. You're going to miss the sun a lot of times too. So you get used to a lot of things. Exactly. But it so was great. After your rotation out there, came back to Colorado. Mm -hmm. What did you do uh, with your career that you are <laughs> owned and operated uh, champion sports medicine, physical therapy clinic in, in Denver um, you're no longer there. Uh, where are you now? You know, how did you get into champion and then, uh, what happened from there? Right. Well, like life, you know, things don't always go in one direction, especially the direction that you plan. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually moved to Wyoming for a short time then cause oh, my wow. parents are from there from Hawaii, uh, Hawaii, which was crazy. That's a big change. Then I found an amazing job in steamboat Springs, Colorado. And I always say that of all the places I've ever lived, that place was home. That really? was just an amazing place to live. Uh, the people there were great. Hawaii started my, uh, my love for cultures that really put um, play hard, work hard together. And that essentially almost play hard more than you work hard. Um, you know, the lifestyle was really important to, to them and not just to work their life away in Hawaii. Um, it was a huge thing to be around friends, family and, and make the most of life. And same thing with Steamboat. You know, it was a play hard mentality. It was never, hey, I'm in the middle of nowhere. It's, you're in the middle of everywhere. And it was just an amazing concept of everyone around you wants to play. They're willing to work hard so they can go play hard. I also had probably the best job that I've ever had. I had the most amazing mentor. And she introduced me to a lot of the things that I do and practice now. Um, she introduced me to Gary Gray philosophy. She introduced me to just being you know, a good clinician and treating the patient first. And these things that I already believed, but just really honed my skills on those things. She also gave me the ability to do more gait analysis, which I really was into. Mm -hmm. And I started my own bike fit program uh, while I was up there and really got into the medical bike fitting and uh, treating that sports medicine mentality, uh, population. Mm -hmm. And really got into that biomechanics scene at the time. And that, that really changed the, the course of my career. Then I moved just, down to Denver. Just yeah. to clarify, when you say bike fitting, you mean fitting the rider on the bike, not like a bike fitness, correct? Correct. Yep. Okay. So yeah. doing a medical bike fit where you fit them on the bike and again, uh, you know, it's a marriage between the two. It's making mm -hmm. sure that the, they, you fit the bike and the bike fits you. Yeah. Good point. So then yeah. you got to Denver. Yeah. So then I essentially had a great opportunity to move down to Denver didn't want to leave at the time, but just thought, you know, this is the best thing for my career. One of those choices and moved down to Denver and it didn't work out within a month and a half. I realized that that was not the right choice. 
So I almost moved back to Steamboat, but at the time was doing a lot more bike fits and said, this is the population that I need to be around. So I started my own clinic. My goal was always to own or be a major partner in a, a clinic by five years. And it was exactly at that mark. And I said, and now's the time. Let's open this. <laughs> <laughs> and even Champion. Champion was a fun little uh, name because it essentially was a project in school. We started our own clinics in school and our own businesses and the name of it was champion and there was huh. so much energy around that name and yeah. everyone put their arms up you just had that physical reaction to it like you're yeah. crossing a finish line and it carried through all the way to that business program very cool so where yeah. are you at right now you're in denver uh tell us a little bit about your practice yeah so ironically i just sold my shares of my practice about uh four months ago mm. in october and I am now looking for the next step in life, as they put it. Um, okay. I'm putting together quite a few different programs. I call them hybrid situations, where I'm actually looking at what it looks like to have a clinic, but not only a clinic, but performance therapy. So rather than having things be broken out, I want to try to put them all together. I think PTs and more importantly, movement specialists, so regardless of your background or your title, uh, we need to really help people move better, whether they are hurt or they're trying to rehab themselves or they just want to get better. And I, I don't think that we should stop um, at the end of getting an injury better. I don't think we should stop when someone wants to get better. They should be able to go to that next level. So my idea is where are they on the continuum? And that continu continuum is ever going, ever lasting. And you can always find your spot on that continuum, whether it's in health or injury or just trying to get better. That's such an important thing too. I mean, I, I feel like I've heard about that for so long is just the idea of what to do when someone gets out of the rehabilitation phase, but nobody really seems to have kind of mastered that. So definitely excited to kind of see what you come up with and, and, and where you're going from there. So out of Thank you, John. practice and in, 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 uh, in Denver, rather. Um, yep. Still live in Denver. Yeah. Uh, and love it here. Yeah. So tell us about your Rock tape story. How did you first get introduced into uh, into rock tape? And you know, being one of the originals, it was. Uh, um, I have to imagine it was a right place, right time kind of situation. Uh, so I'm, right. I'm very curious, uh, since you are one of the, uh, we can say founding members of the instructor pool. Oh yeah. Well, I don't know about founding <laughs> members. I definitely. It, it's all about being in the right place in the right time and. You know, if you don't know Allison Evans, she is one of the most amazing people and one of her biggest gifts. She has two huge gifts, actually. Um, one of her biggest gifts is that she has foresight. She can just see the future. I really mm -hmm. do believe that she sees these connections in the future and puts them together. And the second piece is just that. She puts the right people together at the right time. Um, I always said she's kind of like a Sheltie dog. She just herds people together that are the right <laughs> people and you have a great time. You don't even know it and you're going right along. So... I used to work with Allison. Um, after I sold Champion, I went to work as a physical therapy education for orthotics. And so I taught people how to make them, how to um, assess for them, do all those different things through the kind of a traditional biomechanical approach. Uh, so I lectured with her quite a bit. She was in charge of everything there. Um, and so she essentially left that company and went to work for Rock Tape and said, hey, we need some we need a PT lecture so we can be able to talk a little bit more of that talk. And I said, absolutely. I love it. Um, she also wanted to put the right people together that again, even though we have to 
talk about titles and we need to be able to talk physical therapy. She wanted someone that played well with everyone, uh, that yeah. didn't care if they were a chiro, a massage therapist, uh, whatever the background was, that we're all trying to get people better. And that was the main point. So very inclusive from the beginning. And with that, um, I love these stories because it started even way before that. Um, when I was doing my lectures for the orthotic company, there was one single vendor, one single booth that was sitting outside of our doors. And that was Greg by himself, <laughs> our founder of Rock Tape. He would sit at a little booth, Rock Tape banner up behind him. He'd be selling his tape and he would be all by himself. And you know, at the time, I was like, who is this guy? Why is he here? And again, Allison yeah. had the foresight to say, this is something amazing. We got to put him, you know, part of our package, our program. Mm -hmm. um, and then pretty soon, Capo came along, and the two of them would be sitting at the vendor booth. And you know, you just saw the excitement and the energy and the passion um, from those guys and from that booth that it was never going to be contained just there. And then pretty soon, yeah. you know, they're getting more popular than just about anything. Uh, and next thing you know, Capo's coming up with this great curriculum education and it, it just overtook everything so where I came in is right place at the right time again as Allison asked me hey uh, we need someone to help us out with this with this lecture um, it was kind of my first introduction to really the the rock tape world uh, and at the time you know we used to follow a little bit more of the older philosophies but Steve was really scratching his head saying you know there's a lot more to this we had Perry uh, and Steve Agos and all these guys that were, were questioning what we're already doing and saying, hey, can we do it better? And I think that was really an amazing part to be that, that genesis where, again, Steve was like, we can do this better. We need to do this better. Yeah. And, and uh, th I think this is how we're going to do it. And way back then, when, excuse me, way back then, uh, it was only tape. So were you using kinesiology tape in practice? Had you been familiarized uh, with it? Did you have an opinion going in about tape specifically? Yeah, so I was the big time strapper from the athletic training world. I used yeah. to shorten everything and crank that tape on. I love telling this story in the, in the taping classes because that was me. Shorten everything, put the hard rigid tape on, crank it down. And mm -hmm. that took me a long time. In fact, it literally took me three months to change my mentality from the old rigid tape to how to use kinesiology tape, specifically rock tape, the right way. And okay. again, it was my own personal injury. I had a posterior tibialis strain and couldn't get it better. I was putting it on the old way, doing all kinds of different things with my ankle. And finally, I just said, okay, what do we teach in the class? What does Steve say? And I put it on the correct way and it totally changed my, my philosophy on, hey, this is the way that we need to put this on. And it helped me um, at the time. So it's a big jump, honestly, from the rigid tape into the the elastic tape. Um, you worked in a, a larger facility. Um, when you started to kind of use it a little bit more and, and started you know, seeing the benefit from it, especially when you're trying to be part of changing that paradigm, did you get a lot mm -hmm. of pushback? Well, uh, I because I was always seen as the guy that was willing to try a lot of new things and right. kind of trying to stay on the forefront of things. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and sometimes I wasn't always on the forefront of things, but I was always trying. And I was definitely yeah. the, the guy that um, would go put himself out there to try new stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes good and sometimes not so good. But with that, you know, 
my favorite pushback story was um, we had an athletic trainer that worked with us, and he's an amazing athletic trainer. He worked at the high school. He worked at our facility for a long, long time. And he's like, Stu, that stuff never works. You know, you're, you're full of it on it, everything else. Well, he just so happened to play hockey, and he hurt his shoulder. And so he came in, he's like, my shoulder's killing me. I don't know what to do. I was like, let's try this rock tape stuff. And he's like, no, that stuff really doesn't work. I said, let's just try it. You have nothing to lose. And so we put it on and he came back the next day and he's like, Stu, that tape helped me so much. I have no idea how and I have no idea why. You know, can I learn how to do that? And he was a, you know, uh, rock, rock tape guy after that. He yeah. used it, the, our philosophy. He still did his traditional athletic training, which comes in really important. And I, I say this in my classes, there's a time and, and, a, and a place for every tool. I still use rigid tape here and there for when I need it for different um, injuries or different ways of using it. Because as I've learned over the years, there's never just one way to do things. And you need to have all kinds of different tools in your tool belt to help out different people. 100%. And you have have a lot of tools in your tool belt, especially with the vast amount of athletes that you've treated throughout your career. You've consulted with USA Triathlon. You've been the lead PT for Colorado uh, Ballet. You have a great reputation as a running and cycling expert. So, you know, when you're trying to decide the tools that you want to use uh, on different athletes, what are some of the things that you take into consideration? Right. And I think that's a big problem that we have right now. I would say at least that I have, you know, you look around and all the different ways that we have to learn right now through social media and through, you know, seminars and online and in class and all kinds of different things mm -hmm. from academia to, you know, just word of mouth or just single opinions. And so I think there's a lot of information out there as we know in this information world, it's hard to decipher what's, what's good and what's bad for simplicity's sake. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say the biggest thing that I do is I just talk, I network, I say, hey, what do you think of this one? Hey, Tony, what do you think of this? Hey, John, what do you think of this? You know, are you guys using it? Um, and I think that's the key is to go around and say, who's in the trenches? Are you really using it this way? And are, is, does it really work the way that they say it works? And then yeah. I think you start to hone your own personal way of using it. Because as I do, like most people, you take a class, you come back with your hammer of education and you just hammer everything. So you call your friends and family up. You say, hey, can I tape you this weekend? Can I try this new method? Can I do this that I just learned? And you try to use your new hammer on everything that you can. Yeah. And you start to figure out where it works and where it doesn't. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. Some yeah. people just say, oh, I have a hammer now. <laughs> right. You can't use the hammer on everything. That's one thing I've learned. I always yep. say, never say never and never say always. Because there's always a place <laughs> for every tool you know, at a certain time, for sure. Well, I will use a favorite movie quote that I know you will get, or at least I hope you will get, right. is only Siths deal in absolutes. <laughs> Huge Star Wars fan, as you can tell. Absolutely. <laughs> so, my just phone to let is everybody... Yoda, my iPad is Ben Kenobi. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, you logged on to this call and it said Yoda was uh, trying to log in. So I was like, wait, what? Oh, it's Stu, I forgot. Okay, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, so I, it's funny because I was just talking to someone about that and they say, yeah. what do you want to do next, right? Who do, who do you want to be? And I was like, you know who I really want to be? I want to be Indiana Jones, <laughs> Sherlock Holmes, and the Yoda of the movement world, right? That's who okay. I would love yeah. to be, to yeah. really explore, have some fun and adventure, have some wit and wisdom so that you go around and really educate and teach people, 
you know, the, the, again, the wisdom behind things, not just the knowledge of, Hey, this is really how you can make a decision on when this stuff works and when it doesn't. Uh, are you revealing to us a new Instagram handle movement Yoda? Is that taken? <laughs> I thought about it. Did uh, you really? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I have to ask kind of looking at your profile cause I, I I'm fascinated with, I don't want to use a term that anybody thinks is disparaging because that's not what I mean, but I'm going to say obscure athletes and, and movements and sports. You worked with Colorado ballet. I am so fascinated with outside the norm, baseball, you know, hockey, football, all that stuff, because these athletes are, I think underappreciated in their athleticism and the intensity of their sports and you could fight me all you want, anybody listening, about ballet. It is a sport. I consider it very highly athletic. They're not competing against one another, sure, but you cannot overlook the athleticism and what they put their bodies through. So I'm so curious. What are some of the things that you did with uh, ballet dancers to help keep them going day to day, especially with the rigors of what they do to their body? Yeah. First, a little background on that because that was actually another amazing experience. You know, it, you get so lucky through your career if you just get dropped in these places that you never expected. Mm -hmm. I have no performing art history whatsoever before that. I did sure. not know what the front of the house was, back of the house. I didn't know what these guys were talking about. <laughs> and Colorado Ballet was so kind to teach me all these different terms and the system and everything else. Um, so essentially, I came into it and I realized that obviously these are very, very, very good athletes. They own their bodies, I would say, better than a lot of other athletes. Absolutely. And they, they wear down so much more because they are constantly wearing and tearing, constantly practicing. And the main thing from that is to realize the stress, stressors. And when I mean stress, not the mental stress, but, you know, what is it from the outside that they're trying to perform for? You know, what's the goal of their sport? Their goal of their sport is to look good. So that means they will put themselves in any position. They'll put them in any kind of awkward uh, movement or movement patterns that they need to and practice over and over and wear and tear in their bodies to be able to get into that one perfect position on stage. And that's what just blew me away about this was, hey, I, you know, I need to get into this position. It kills my lower back when I do this. Can you help me? Because I got to go on tonight or in an hour or, you know, five minutes. And it was absolutely amazing to say, well, what can we do? Um, so for me, it was a huge experience because it also was a different mentality of treating. So in my career, I was very used to the, the long term. You know, we're going to help you right now. As I always say, treat locally and globally. We're going to, you know, try to get you better, what, you know, what you're feeling. But we're going to try to get you better long term. And the dancers would always say, oh, that's great in theory, but I got to get on in five minutes. I got to be able to perform the Nutcracker for the next six weeks. You know, I'm not talking about in six years or even six months from now. I'm talking about in the next six minutes. What do I need to do to get better? So you had to completely change your, your, your frame of reference and say, all right, I got to figure out how to get them out there. And then I got to talk them into coming back in to make sure that they're doing their work to get better for the long term. I also learned a lot from the young ones versus the ones that had been in it for a while. Because if you're in ballet for a long time, that's so much wear and tear on your body that you must have a good program. You must be right. doing stuff outside you know, your, your usual workouts and everything else. And you have to have the right mentality on how to keep yourself healthy. And so these older dancers are the ones that I would really concentrate on and say, you know, what did you do to keep yourself healthy? And then I would try to pass that on to the younger ones. 
interesting yeah uh it's so fascinating too just to kind of think because you know we you said it so perfectly what's the goal of their sport or their competition to look good at what they're doing and when you said that i was thinking movement fluency uh, i wasn't thinking so much aesthetics but just the fluidity of motion and trying to make it look in their case beautiful and there's so many right. sports sports like that and it's a good way to appreciate movement too we talk about this in the movement specialist courses you know if you watch someone do something you can kind of tell when it's a little bit off you know look, mm -hmm. look at a baseball player taking a swing there's a smoothness to a, a good swing and you see when it's choppy uh, you can you can tell there's something off and maybe they don't make good contact. It's so fascinating to see it appreciated with other forms of athleticism. And you're right, these dancers, they put their bodies through so much. So much. And at such a young age, and, you know, their reward is not always that great. Um, good point. A lot of it is so self-driven and just a love for the, for the sport, for lack of better terms, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that they, you know, their, their reimbursement is is their love for the for the art so yeah was there yeah. a uh, particular tool that you used a lot with them did you find that tape was very effective for a lot of the dancers did you get into other uh, modalities things like that or just the whole game? yeah so yeah lots of different things yeah. kinesiology tape was huge um, back then um, I was not using rock tape specifically it was before rock tape um, uh, had come along um, or around the same time. And so, no, before. Um, and so what I was using is you'd have to use the, the beige or the skin tone because yeah. most of the time they didn't want to show it, um, okay. as you see in a lot of different sports. And during a performance, you absolutely couldn't see it at all. You weren't right. supposed to. Right. So a lot of it was, you know, their school and their training afterwards uh, that they had to use that to correct their form to be able to re be ready for the performance. So a lot of tape because... Mm -hmm. With dancing, especially, they had so much mobility, you know, such good flexibility that they had to earn their stability. They had to maintain their stability. Right. And so that's where I think rock tape is huge, is that neurological tool to be able to control and help out with motor control. So cool. I'm so glad you said that, too, about uh, the color of tape. That's a question that comes up almost every tape class is the discussion of what sports allow the tape to be visible, maybe even allow you to wear it or don't allow you to wear it too. And I mean, this is a performance as well too. So like, you're not going to be putting on a costume to dance in and then you have, you know, Argyle colored tape sticking out. It's not going to really fit what you're trying to do. Right. You know, and I think taping color and even patterns and everything else, there's, you know, so many different stories about that. There's, you know, the 90 year old total knee lady that had hot pink on her knee and she was actually, she's so excited that day to go out and say, my knee's feeling better. Look at it. It feels yeah. so much better. You know, and everyone yeah. would say, hey, what's that stuff on your knee? Does it really work? Yeah, go yeah. see Stu over at Champion. You know, he's really helping me out. So it was a huge, huge thing to have that bright color on. Mm -hmm. Then you'd get other people that were in a sport and they didn't want the other person to know that they're injured. So say, yeah. you know, if they were doing mixed martial arts or anything else like that, I saw a little bit of the, that in Colorado. Um, and they didn't want to show their weaknesses. And so you would use it during training, again, during more of a private time. But during any competition, you did not have that stuff on. You did not want to show that there was any weakness whatsoever, especially where it was at. That's a good point. Yeah. Very good point. So, lots of things. But, you know, for the most part, it was really neat because everyone makes fun of the, the colors, right, when the colors came in. Yeah. And that was a huge part of tape getting popular, that it, it was really fun. And I think that's one thing that yeah. rock tape really did. You know, we got so many compliments 
at some of the conventions and everything else that we're at because they said, you guys are so fun. What is it that you were doing? And even Allison, when she, you know, talked to me from coming over from the orthotic world, she's like, you know, the, the taping world is so much more fun than the orthotic world. And we can do so much more than what we're doing over there. Yeah. It's so interesting to refer to them as worlds, like their own little universe. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. So um, I've wanted to ask you for a long time. Yeah. Since knowing you uh, being on the, on the podcast, you, this was 2016. So it was my second instructor summit. We were still, we were still in Colorado. It was still snowing. So we were not at any beach resort or anything like that. You gave a presentation that uh -huh. has always sat with me and it's something I talk about so much. And you were talking to the group about our audience and when we have PT students in our audience and that we have to speak to them in, in, in certain ways and really provide good evidence because that's what they're looking for. We need to be very concrete and in, in, way, in some ways black and white with what we're trying to explain to them and we have to be very, very uh, distinctive. And you said something that really kind of stuck with me is the idea that a PT student will actually favor more of what their instructors in school are telling them versus the weekend seminar instructor that they're talking with. And the thing that, that really resonated with me is as a chiropractor and as a, a instructor in a chiropractic curriculum, I've actually noticed the opposite. Um, as I noticed that we have a trend of students, they go to these begin seminars and they start to really dive in and they've got this new hammer as you pointed out a little earlier and they want to use it on everything and then they, when they get back into school and they start to go into the idea of foundational training and understanding the concepts that they need to know to get out of school past their boards and get into practice they're just kind of ah i'm bored with that i'm way past that kind of thing I wanted to talk a little bit about that with you yeah. because that's always been so important is just that thought process and, and speaking with, with different students versus the different practitioners. You know, do you remember that, that's that yeah. uh, lecture you were giving yeah. us? And I think even more importantly and just saying more black and white, because um, I think a lot of the PT students coming out now are, are definitely critical thinkers more than, mm -hmm. you know, just um, regurgitating information. Um, yeah. You know, and I would say now the, the trend is and has changed to more evidence informed. Like what is it that we need to know and is right. everything come down to just research? I think they're much more um, critical about that, about not, not saying it's just research information that's important. Yeah. I think the trends have also changed. I think there's a lot more students going to school right now or are doing weekend seminars yeah. on top of school. And so they're getting all kinds of mixed education throughout this, this process. Mm -hmm. They're seeing a lot more on social media, you know, opinions and advice and, and different things. And they're willing to challenge author authority a little bit sure. more or challenge what's common, I should say. Right. Um, and so with that, I think we're getting, again, really good thinkers. And that's, man, if you can pass on a few things to students, you know, that's, that's it. Think. Right. 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 Number one is listen. Listen to the whole entire patient. And not just listening with your ears, but your eyes, your heart your hands, everything that you can to be able to get the information that you need. The best advice I ever got was from one of my mentors that said, you know, listen to your patient. They're going to tell you everything you need to know. It's yeah. up to you to be able to listen to it. Mm -hmm. But then after that, it's being able to think for yourself and make, you know, informed decisions and then just try things. You're going to make mistakes. Things are going to work. They're going to not work. But man, just think for yourself. And I think that's critical. So I think times have changed to that. 
where students are thinking for themselves a lot more than in the past. Mm -hmm. But I think like most things, you know, when what we learn in foundations of school, when things get really tough, you kind of fall back on that. I always give right. the example of, of skiing. You know, the first time actually snowboarding, the first time I went snowboarding, you learn to go back on your heels and your toes and do what's called a falling leaf. And you pretty much go down the front of the mountain on one edge, right? So in times when you get really stressed or you go on something that's a little bit too hard for you, you go back to what you originally learned. And I think that's very common with students is that when they get into a situation they don't know, they generally fall back on what they learned in school because yeah. that's their, their fundamentals, at least that I've seen with PT. Yeah, setting that foundation so they're prepared. Right. And I think the instructors at different schools are really good about saying, hey, this isn't everything you need to know. You know, this yes. is the beginning. You know, we're going to give you the basic screwdrivers. You're going to learn the power drills. You're going to learn <laughs> the special tools. You're going to learn those things that are just being created so that you guys can, you know, tweak your worlds. That's a great analogy, actually. I've thought about that recently when, you know, I have a situation come up where I have to kind of pull people back and guys, guys, you know, look, we, we got to set this foundation first. You got to, you got to crawl before you walk, before you fly, honestly, for some people. Right. Um, and that's a great analogy is like, you know, I, I am teaching you what a nail and a hammer is. We will eventually get to putting the nail in the wood, but if you don't even know what those two things are, you can't go anywhere right. from there. So setting that foundation, those fundamentals. You're going to be like my son when he was really little, he was trying to hammer a screw into a piece of wood. That's never going to work, right? You do have to <laughs> learn some fundamentals. Then all yeah. of a sudden you learn the difference between a screwdriver and then the coolness of a power drill and then, you know, the extra tools and everything else that you get. So absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great analogy too because you can, everybody can kind of, uh, uh, they can kind of be familiar with the idea of like, oh, you know, I've, I'm putting together whatever, a, a cabinet or something like that. I'm using a hand-driven uh, screwdriver and then I hear this power drill in the distance. It's like, oh, I got to get <laughs> me one of those. You, know? you want to play with the toys, but like you got to know how to use those things. You got to know what you got to know what they're used for is another really, really important thing to understand too. I think from the educational perspective and I think, and you could speak on this too, having, you know, been there since the beginning, I think our education in rock tape really does help maintain foundational learning and then jumping off of that point. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I think that's something that we do really well at and that we push and is, the, you know, the realistic part of life, which is learn the principles, you know, and you can apply it to any technique. And I always say, you know, creativity is your only limitation. You know, once right. you learn these principles, you can come up with anything to be able to treat anything. So even though we never talked about this particular injury or this particular problem in here, you know, you follow the principles and you can, you can at least come up with an idea on how to treat it and then be able to assess and reassess it. Right. And it's so, so important for everybody, I think, to understand. It's just, you know, we always have to have the, that foundation set, that foundation too. And I think it goes back to yeah. uh, the idea that like there is no protocols within our system. We are teaching you concepts and mm -hmm. concepts really helps us kind of fall back into that foundational teaching. Absolutely. And you, you even talked about how your students come away from a new class and say, Ooh, what about this new tool that I learned? I think that's part of the shiny object syndrome where, you know, you learn any kind of new <laughs> technique or new tool and you want to use it, you know, just as we talked about. So everything is new for them. Yeah. Right. At that point. So they're, they're trying to figure out what their tools are. Um,
you know, just like when people ask me, that's the tape. Yeah. I'm still learning new ways to use it, new ways to apply it. Um, I'm still learning, you know, the power of it sometimes that I never realized before. When uh, this other stuff is great, I still use all the other tools as well. But at the end of the day, the tape is the most common one that I use um, because it's the fundamental, you know, it's the neurological connection between so many things that we talk about. Well, damn, dude, that was going to be one of my questions. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Right? So again, being there from the beginning, I, I, you uh, again started, it was only tape. Um, I've been there since it was tape. And then we immediately the next year moved into blades. And then we've started to see pods and floss. Now we see the movement mm -hmm. specialist course. We've got, if you chalk it up to, you know, weekends, we have four weekends worth of curriculum. What's mm -hmm. your favorite course to teach? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, there was a movability course in there as well before the, That's the blade. That's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I remember. And I remember that. that was one of my favorite ones to teach. And we kind of, we really morphed that into, you know, the movement specialist now. Tell everybody uh, about I, what movability really was. Because that honestly, I mean, it was around for maybe a year and a half, two years. So I don't think a lot of people even remember what that is. Yeah, so it was essentially kind of a, a evaluation or a screen and using the mobility and stability techniques to get someone to move better. And so in so many of our classes, well, specifically taping classes and performance, we talk about how to tape people and, you know, this should be your screen or it could be your screen and this is how you'd rescreen, but we really don't go through it. Mm -hmm. And so that movability was really, this is how you actually screen. This is how you rescreen. And when we talk about mobility and stability and taping, these are some ways that you can gain that mobility and stability. Um, so that's essentially what I thought the class was, and I loved it. Um, but it eventually moved into um, movement specialist because I don't think people quite understood what the class was. And I think that's what, you know, Steve has done such a good job and, and expanded so much on the class now. So yeah. when you ask me my favorite class, it's almost always been the tape class because that was the first one. Um, it's still fun for me because it's not about me. It's not about me standing up there as an instructor. It's about what the student wants to get out of it. So seeing those light bulbs go off and seeing those people that are learning for the first time or learning better than what they thought it was or, or how to use it, that's thrilling to me. So a lot of people ask, how can you keep teach, teaching the same class? And that's why. Um, <laughs> but now that I've taught the movement specialist, I would say they're a tie because I taught my yeah. first class um, and absolutely loved it. Um, and I just was like, yeah, this is the stuff that we're tapping into. This is the stuff that is gold that really makes a difference. When I talk yeah. about listening to the patient, Steve is really trying to put his finger on how to listen to that patient. So we're doing yeah. personality tests. We're doing threat tests. All these things that come with either intuition or practice or experience. He's really trying to put it you know, on paper and say, you know, this is something to think about. And this is one way that you can assess it and reassess it or screen it and rescreen it. You know, I love that so, so much too. It, it's just, it's such a, I was a personal trainer for a number of years before, you know, getting into uh, kind of while I was in healthcare and stuff like that. So I kind of saw both sides of the coin and, you know, one of the things that was always missing is that we call it the N of one. It's the individual in front of us because we look mm -hmm. at protocols, we look at our shiny objects and everybody kind of thinks, oh, well, you know, you'd apply this, you apply the system to the individual, but instead now we're kind of thinking almost, we look at the individual and then we take our tools and our systems and we adapt it for the person. 
right? Absolutely. And I think that's the, the key to any recipe, right? Who's yeah. eating it? You know, let's apply <laughs> it to them. It's not about the chef, you know, the guy that stands up there and says, I created the best thing in the world, but it doesn't taste good to the person that it's for. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. So who are you treating? How are you going to cater and change your experience for them? I think that's key. And that's what, you know, again, we're trying to move into with this movement specialist is that mechanical things, neurological things, all of that is really important. But, uh-huh. you know, and that's the biological part, um, the neurological part, which is extremely important. But the biopsych social aspect, you know, that psychological and, and social aspect are enormous on the reaction that you're going to get. Yeah. So I think your outcomes really um, are, are different if you can read that from the beginning rather than kind of trying something, realizing it doesn't work because of those problems and then readjusting. Yeah. So, so important. Uh, It is one of my, I'm not making my judgment yet. You you said you had so much fun (laughs) teaching. I I had so much fun teaching it for the first time um, and really enjoyed it. Uh, I always feel like I have beginner's luck with my timing and flow with everything too. So I feel like, I feel like I need to get a few under my belts. So uh, under my belt. Right. Why did I pluralize belts? I don't wear more than one belt. Uh, so. <laughs> well, so speaking of that, I do want to talk. I want to ask up? you a question. So, oh, okay. Um, I met you for the first time when we did a presentation together. We were that's right co- yeah. co-instructors, and I think it yep. was that your first lecture that you did, or was that, that was your my second or third? It was technically my second. So, like my first summit, like the weekend after, was my first course. Uh huh. And then you you and I uh, met in Columbus. And you rocked it. What I was really impressed with, (laughs) and I'm not just saying this to butter you up, but specifically, it was my slide deck. So it was my story. And in in the old days, we were allowed to change our slide decks a little bit more. Right. Um, And, you know, we put it in order that made sense to us. Um, Now we we really try to stick to it for consistency. But you you were reading off of my slide deck, which means it was totally out of order. And you rocked it. You didn't even miss a beat. So... Just wanted to give you, you know, props for that. You did a great job in it. Oh, thanks, man. It was yeah. uh, intimidating being being with uh, one of the masters and doing that. I felt like it was. I had to remind myself, like I've been hired, but it was kind of like an audition. So. Right. Yeah. And that is funny because a lot of people do ask us, you know, how do you become a rock tape instructor? And it is always- so funny because everybody has such a different story. It is. I'm going to say it like this. I feel like it really started to become a process much later after I got in. So I feel like I snuck my way in almost. Um, And then we have like the onboarding process now and all that stuff. Uh, You know, I had a much different experience with that. So, yeah. And I would say same here. Yeah. And it was, you know, definitely a different process at the time. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure you get these questions all the time. I don't know about you, but especially when I first started to teach, I would go out to dinner with students, you know, I'd go to birthday parties, I would go, we went uh, ice skating a few times and all kinds of fun stuff. Um, People would always ask you. um, And so my question, I would say right time at the right place. Right. Second thing is you need to know your shit. So you just need to be consistent with your knowledge base and you need to believe in the same philosophies, you know, as we call them, the kind of the principles of our classes right now. Yeah. Which is inclusiveness, movement is king, you know, all these different things that we talk about. Um, but third is really going in and, um, you know, providing that, like you said, that, um, that ability to go in and and teach and be able to roll with the punches and be be able to provide that story. I think that's huge. Um, you know, for our, our classes. 
because at the end of the day, what we're trying to instill is, you know, not just people um, copying a black and white screen, you know, and just the instructions, but able to think for themselves. And I think that's a big part of our culture. 100% agree. Yeah, that's the difference that I think we have as uh, as Rock Tape and our curriculum. We are going to bring you in. We're going to teach you a lot, but we're also going to let you think. Um, and that's mm -hmm. a big thing, the big point that I tell a lot of people. And evolve, too. I think that's another thing that, you know, one thing we've done well, another thing that we've done well, you know, we're constantly challenging even ourselves and saying, is this the right way or could we do better? And so I think that's, you know, a, a big part of our culture. Um, we don't take ourselves too seriously, which allows for us to really challenge ourselves and say, yeah, maybe there is a better way of doing this. We, we do not, if you see some of the pictures from our uh, uh, summit and stuff, we do not take ourselves very seriously, but we enjoy it and want to do a good job. So. So Absolutely. Stu, where, where are you going to be at uh, coming up soon? Where are you, where are you going to be teaching? What's your schedule like? Yeah, so a few things. Denver this weekend, teaching Blades at Project Move in Littleton. So I miss Saturday Project Sunday. Move. That's yeah. where we used to do our, our summits in Denver. I got to uh, I got to be there twice for, for two summits. And the last one, Greg was like, uh, it's too cold and snowing. Let's go to Mexico next year. And that's how it happened. So right. I kind of miss It's such a great facility. I'm, I love it. I love teaching there. Uh, but I love going to Mexico for the, the summits. That is just a – Yes. I am not I complaining for Colorado. the record. <laughs> for the record. Not, not complaining. Not and complaining. then I'll also be a combined section meeting uh, next week. So – APTA CSM, so American Physical Therapy Association in Denver, Colorado next week. Um, nice. I'll be in at that along with some other amazing people. You know, we got Shantae Movement Maestro, we got Stella, we got Melissa, we got, you know, Ali will be there and a bunch of other people. You just got the Rock Tape crew and I oh, know wow. there's going to be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, if you got everybody there, that's going to be fantastic. Yep. So stop by the booth, say hi, and uh, we'd love to see you there. And uh, Stu, how can people get a hold of you? Social media, websites, any way to reach <laughs> out to you? Absolutely. Um, they can reach out to me in a lot of different ways. So basically, LinkedIn is Stuart Wilson. You got Instagram and Facebook. My handle is Stumanji CO, as in Stumanji, Colorado. And uh, if you ever need to go hold of me, my email, you know, is Stu at comotionrx.com. Excellent. Stumanji. I don't know if I... You said it's as in Colorado, so it's referring like Colorado, the CEO? Or well, the there's some guy that has Dumanji, which is what I really wanted, but he won't give up his handle, even though he's not been <laughs> on it for like 10 years. Um, so I keep, you know, messaging him every six months and asking him to give it up, but he won't. Uh, so really, Dumanji <laughs> was kind of a nickname in, in hockey. And yeah, so is Stumanji, it a playoff Colorado. Of, is it a playoff of Jumanji? Yep. Okay. It is. Jumanji. <laughs> I have I have so many weird questions when stuff like that comes up. Like I, got, I, I gotta know what you're referencing here, right? So, well, I mean, if you haven't noticed, especially with all of your podcasts, and definitely the the heart and soul of, of Rock Tape is to play hard and and work hard, right? So always having fun. I 100%. think that's something that Greg and Allie and Steve have done so well is that you know what we're gonna work our butts off, and mm -hmm. some of it there's gonna be long days, but we're gonna really have fun doing it. Yep. And I think our uh, common goals like that is why we are uh, such a good family and we invite everyone to join us in our family get togethers that we refer to as our tape, blades, pods, floss and movements uh, specialist courses. If you're looking to get a great instructor,
director, go check out rocktape.com and see where Stu is going to be coming up next. Uh, if you are a PT, go check out that uh, APTA conference, correct? Correct. Yep. Check Denver, out APTA Colorado. in Denver, Colorado. It's always a good place to be as well, too. And you're going to not only see Stu, you're going to see a bunch of, uh, of his friends and family uh, within the Rock Tape community. And that's going to be a fun time. So I can't wait to see what comes out of that. Stu, thank you so much, man, for taking the time and joining us on the podcast. Thank you very much, Johnny. It was a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Great to talk to you, and I will talk to you soon.